come up to the various topics in our sermon. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you wake up at night to the sound of smashing windows. There's loud yelling of a mob in the street coming down to your house. And in fear, you you run out of your house, down the stairs, and you go in the opposite direction of of the noise. And as you run down the street, you see a bunch of police officers in their blue uniforms, a white squad car with big city police decals on the side. There's blue and red flashing lights. There's an ambulance with paramedics. And so you quickly make your way behind their lines. You have this sense of security as you look towards these people. You can trust that they'll put their bodies between you and the danger that you're fleeing. You can trust that if you're injured, they'll, they'll take care of you and they'll, they'll bring you to the hospital. Now, obviously, this isn't always the case, this sense of security. Some of you may have experience with corrupt officers. Perhaps you even had to flee a country where there was corrupt police or military, where those in office, they did the opposite of protecting you. Seeing them would bring fear instead of security. And so we know how important it is that the right person is given an office of authority, an office of power. You see, they're, they're officers. They, that means they have this office. They've been given the duty, a task to protect, to serve citizens, to uphold the law and stop criminals. And so when we're in danger of criminal activity, we seek good people who have been appointed and equipped to that office. And this afternoon, we are studying the name, the title given to Jesus, the title of Christ. It means that Jesus was anointed to the office of being, and you may have heard this word, the Messiah, the office of the Messiah. That word just conjures up hope in our hearts. But what does it mean for someone to be anointed? Well, one is anointed by God to serve others on the Lord's behalf. He serves for the benefit of you, the Lord's people. These officers, they are publicly anointed. They are given a badge, a uniform, that shows others that God has set them apart for a specific task. task. And this helps us to know who they are, helps us to, to find them, to seek them out, and to also honor them, to listen to them, because God has given them authority, an authority that's limited to that office and task. But to be anointed by God also means that There is a promise. 
God promises to equip that person, to equip the Messiah for that task. And we know, brothers and sisters, that the Father, He has, he has publicly set apart the Son for this specific job of being the Messiah, and He equips the Son with the Holy Spirit so that He can do this job well. Not like a corrupt cop we want to avoid, but a trustworthy policeman, as though the policeman were your own brother who loves you. And God the Father, He's, he's commanded His Son to do three things. As the Messiah, He is to reveal to us the Father's plan of salvation. That's prophet. And second, He is He's called to reconcile us to the Father through His death on the cross. That's the aspect of being a priest. And third, He's called to guard, to protect us in this life until He comes again. That's the office of being king. And this is the task, the one task given to Jesus Christ. And so we can turn to Him with expectation expectation and trust that He will do these things for us. But how do we know that Jesus was anointed? How do we know that Jesus was set apart to be the mediator? Well, the Gospels, they tell us that when He was baptized, He was publicly anointed before the crowds with the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit which empowered Him to complete all these tasks in his humanity. We read in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Luke says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. We see here that God the Father publicly commissions Jesus to fulfill the office of Christ. He publicly anoints Jesus with the Spirit and the words, you are my beloved Son. And He does so so that all the people, those disciples, may know that He is God's Messiah, that we may seek Him, that we may obey Him. And by the Spirit, Jesus is equipped to fulfill His office as our one and only mediator. And first, Christ mediates for us by being our chief prophet. So let's turn to Deuteronomy 18 in our first text. We'll just look at Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 19. In this, the context of this passage is that Moses is giving what we might call his last farewell, his last will, his last goodbyes. He's going to die, and so he tells God's people to be on the lookout, to prepare and wait for the coming Messiah, the chief prophet, which we know was Jesus Christ. So Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him 
you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, and when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all, speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. Thus far our reading. So what exactly is a prophet? Why was Moses considered a prophet? Well, a prophet is a messenger. They pass on a message from God. And in this way, they mediate between God and the people bringing that message. And we see that Moses is a prophet because in Exodus 3, God sends Moses as a prophet to tell the enslaved Israelites in Egypt that the Lord is going to deliver and save them. Christ is our prophet, however, because he has fully revealed how God is going to save us completely. Our chief prophet has fully revealed to us, as the Catechism says, the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. This is a much greater revelation than the one given by Moses. Moses said, you'll be delivered from Egypt. The revelation from Christ is much greater than the Exodus because it was a cosmic, a global, an eternal revelation. God's secret counsel and will concerning our redemption was that in the Son, He would come down to save us. Not just in any way, but by the Messiah's very death and resurrection. This was a mystery. This was hidden. It was secret before Christ came. But in Jesus, this plan was finally fully unveiled and revealed and made known to all peoples, all nations. And so if you're here, you've already heard the voice of the prophet Jesus Christ, that he is the one and only way of salvation. But have you responded to that revelation? Have you responded by trusting in Jesus as your chief prophet? Or are you still taking just some of his sound bites and adding them to your own monologue, keeping yourself as the one who sets the terms for life and salvation? Then you need to know that if Jesus isn't your top teacher, the one you listen and follow, then you will not take a path that leads to heaven. Look at the last verse of our text. Whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself 
will require of him. Jesus is the one who can guide us, who can reveal to us how to be saved. And so listen to his voice, because he wears that uniform of the good shepherd. He leads us to green pastures. He brings us to the living waters, real living water that can actually quench our souls, something that no other teacher can do for you. True believers are those who have heard Christ the prophet, but not only heard, but they have responded to his declaration by faith. And by faith, they have been united to him. And just as the anointing oil that was poured on Aaron's head, you know, comes from his head down onto his shoulders, so the Holy Spirit was poured on Christ, the head of the church, and it pours down onto the whole body upon all believers. And it's in this way, by being united to Christ by faith, that you, you are given the office. You are given the task, the duty of a prophet. And God has given you this task, and by the power of His Spirit, He has equipped you also for it. And because God has equipped you, you can, you can trust and rely on Him. Just listen to what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 10. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The Father speaking through you. By the power of the anointing, we get to confess Jesus. We get to teach the world about God's plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. And we'll now see how Christ mediates by being our high priest. Let's turn now to Hebrews 9. Hebrews chapter 9. This is our second passage. Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll read from verse 11 to 15. So, in Hebrews, the author is showing how the entire Old Testament, all of scriptures, are leading up to Jesus Christ. They're pointing to Christ as our only mediator, our highest priest, and we need Jesus as our only high priest. So Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 15. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will it purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So what is a priest? What is a priest? We don't look around and see many priests today, except perhaps you might think of a Roman Catholic priest. But a priest is someone who mediates between a holy God and sinful people. Our most just God, he, he cannot live with sin. He cannot be, be tainted by it. And He also cannot live among sinful people. And so the priest's job in the Old Testament is to mediate by dealing with the people's sinfulness. And sin must be dealt with in two ways. Sin must be dealt with in two ways. First, justice requires that it be punished and then also replaced with righteousness. It needs to be punished and then replaced with righteousness. And so God anointed the priests in the Old Covenant to sacrifice animals, and the animals were to be substitutes for the people. Instead of the people dying for their sins, now the, the, the animals would take their place and die in their stead so that their sins would be dealt with symbolically. And so we know what a priest is, but what about a high priest, right? We notice there the text talks about a high priest. What's the difference between a priest and a high priest? Well, a high priest, he had a special task. He had the special task of going into the holy place, the holy of holies. As we read in verse 12, the holy place is where the presence of God was most manifest. And the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the special day of atonement. And this can be read about in Leviticus 16, the day of atonement that happened once a year. And on this day, the sinful pollution of the entire people was dealt with by the blood of animals. And the high priest what would he do? He would transfer the guilt of the people to a goat, and this goat would then be sent away, the scapegoat, it's called, and it would remove all their guilt. And God mercifully provided this means, this sacrifice, through the mediating high priest so that he could live with them for another year, another cycle. And in the Old Covenant, this was done Year after year after year, it went on and on. It continually had to be done. It was a yearly reminder, reminding Israel of their sinfulness and the inability even of those animals to truly save them. Those last animals, last year, they, they can't save us anymore. We need, we need a new animal. And so this Day of Atonement performed by the high priest, was teaching the people of the Old Covenant that a greater high priest and a greater sacrifice 
was needed. They were taught to, to look forward to the anointed Messiah, the true high priest, Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. He's our mediator by being our high priest who is able to make a sacrifice that was truly powerful enough to deal with your sins and my sins. He didn't sacrifice an animal on his own behalf like the old high priest did. He didn't have to cleanse himself by a prior sacrifice because he was already perfect, truly righteous and clean. And neither did he sacrifice an animal on our behalf, like those priests did. Instead, our high priest, our high priest, he sacrificed himself. He took it out. He took our guilt upon himself, like the goat, and he went out of Jerusalem. He was driven outside of Jerusalem to the hill of Golgotha. And he took that sin, that guilt, up into the air onto the cross. And our high priest did this intentionally to begin this new, this better covenant. One where no more sacrifices, no more sacrifices would be needed. We wouldn't have to feel the year after, oh, we need something else, something new again. Because Jesus gave a complete and perfect sacrifice. Jesus tells us this in Luke 22, verse 20. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Imagine if you were an Israelite in the Old Covenant, and the high priest, after years and years of sacrificing a goat and animals and bulls, he takes that knife and he sacrificed himself. He threw himself upon the altar. That would have been shocking to the Israelites. But this is what Jesus is saying here. The new covenant in my blood. He shed his blood to take away our sins, the offenses which were a barrier between us and God. By our high priest's blood, we are reconciled to the Lord, and we are now able to live with Him, right? God Emmanuel, Jesus Emmanuel, He can live with us now because of Christ's sacrifice. And so turn to this high priest. Turn to Christ when you are weighed down, weighed down with your guilt and your shame. Look to Jesus. He wears the uniform of your high priest. The scars on his hands, the wound in his side where he was pierced, his feet pierced by the nails. That is the uniform that Jesus wears for you. And so you can trust Him as your only high priest. 
and in our anointing by the Holy Spirit, we also are made priests underneath the high priest, Jesus Christ. We are priests who present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. If you look at Hebrews 9, verse 14, verse 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Since in love, Jesus, our high priest, redeemed us from our sins in order that he may live with us in peace, we are led in thankfulness to serve the living God. We're no longer our own, for we were bought with a price. And so wherever we live, wherever you live, you are a priest in the temple of God. We serve in and among the church. God gave himself to us. The Son gave his life for us, and so we give ourselves to him in mutual love and submission, obeying and submitting to him in all things. We live a life of loving, sacrificial service to our high priest. And finally, we see that Christ mediates for us by being our eternal king. Jesus wears the royal uniform of our eternal king. Let's turn to Matthew 28. This is our final passage. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. And in this passage, it describes how Jesus, after he died and rose again from the dead, you know, he was going up to heaven to rule over the world as king until he comes again at the last day of judgment. But before he returns to heaven, Jesus gives us, his followers, the task to teach people about the gospel, to make disciples. And in this way, Jesus gives the church a task, an office, and he promises to be with us, right? And what's that promise? To be with us, that's to empower us, to equip us for this task. So Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples, they went up to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what is a king? A king is a ruler. He's the head of a people. His task is to rule, to discipline, to guard, to defend, to attack the nation's enemies. He's to provide a, a peaceful land for his people to dwell in. In many ways, a king can be thought of as a shepherd, 
Indeed, a lot of the Greek kings would be called shepherds. Because a shepherd also protects. A shepherd provides for those under him. And in the Old Testament, perhaps we think of the, the first example of King David, right? Who is he? He's the great shepherd king. He goes from shepherd to king. And we see his wonderful role in this. But in 1 Samuel 8, we can see something deeper about kingship. In 1 Samuel 8, we read about how Israel begins asking for kings, and they would eventually get King Saul, the first king. They wanted a king like all the nations. And the Lord says something super insightful to Samuel. The Lord says, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. And listen to this. They rejected me from being king over them. You see, Israel already had kings before Saul and David. It was Yahweh the Lord. But now they wanted a human king. And so the Lord gave them Saul and then David. He gave in to their request. But God uses their sinful request for a human king for good because he gives us Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is true God and true man. He answers that sinful request for a human king by giving a human king who is also God. It's wonderful, isn't it? He would be one of us, yet very God. Jesus had become the king. Not only over us, the church, but as Matthew 28, verse 18 says, verse 18 says, he now has authority in heaven and on earth. The Christ is not just going to be the king of Israel. He is going to be king of all the nations, over the principalities, over the visible, the invisible. Matthew 28 says that since Christ has been given authority in heaven and on earth, therefore, therefore disciples need to be made of all nations. Christ is king over the whole world. Every person, even if they're an atheist, a Hindu, a Sikh, each individual is called to submit to Christ the King because He is King over the heavens and the earth. It's not just covenant children that need to confess Christ As Lord, all people need to be discipled, trained to live with God in the new covenant by the power of the perfect mediator, Jesus Christ. And the way that Matthew 28 tells us to make disciples is by the word and the sacraments. Look there. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How? by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and by teaching them to observe 
all that I have commanded you. The reason is that our king has promised to use these means to govern us. By the word and sacrament, our king, what does he do? He stoops down to us from heaven. He guards us through them. He disciplines us, corrects us from our sins. He provides for us all we need, all that our souls could ever need. He leads us along paths of righteousness. And so our King, brothers and sisters, He's not far off. He's not across the sea, living in Buckingham Palace. And it's in this way that Christ is the better king than David could ever be. For Christ says in verse 20, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with us. He is with us by His Spirit and through the Word and sacraments. And it's in this way that we fight with our king against the devil, against the world, and against our sinful flesh. We draw near to our king in the word and the sacraments to be equipped, to be strengthened for this fight. Perhaps you're struggling in this fight. But the King is there for you to lead you, to fight by your side. And so look to Jesus who wears the uniform of the King. Turn to Jesus, your defender, your personal guard. He is fighting by your side. And so believer, do not lose heart amid the battles of this life. I know that it can bring many woes. It can bring despair, discouragement. But be of courage. Be of good faith. Fight on. For though the battle may seem like the thickest of dizzying fury around you. Remember that the war is won. Christ is king over all things, even if battles remain for you. And soon our king will reign forever. He will restore peace, and we will reign with him. There will be no more stressful anxious battles of daily life. Rather, there will be rejoicing, a royal peace, a peace brought about by our powerful King, Jesus the Christ. And so, dear confessor of Jesus Christ, you who confess faith in the Lord, I don't know everything that you are going through, right now. I cannot know what life will bring you in the future, the years, the days ahead. But one thing I do know, 
is Jesus Christ. The one that God anointed to be there for you. Even if others cannot, even if others desert you, God has appointed Christ to be there for you. He wears the uniform, the uniform of the office he has been given, the office of being your teacher, your doctor, your policeman, your comforter, your advocate before the Father, your shepherd, your prophet, your priest and king. And so in all things, brothers and sisters, turn to Jesus Christ. He wears the uniform proudly, and he is good. You can trust him. So believe in him. Amen.